For the last two Sundays, we've talked about peace and we have talked about staying in the present. And as I told you, we're going to try this last year of the dispensable church to work very hard together to share a common purpose and to make great progress as each other's brother and sister, supporting each other, keeping our mental arms around each other, and being encouraged by the fact that we know other people are trying very hard. And so what I would like to do this morning is I would like to have a question and answer session, but with a little bit of a difference. And that is, I would like those of you who have been working hard, and I know that many of you have, uh, and we've had these assignments the last two Sundays, and I know that many of you have done these. I've talked to some of you about it. And there are common problems that uh, come about. And if you can look into your heart, those of you who have worked hard, and see what genuine questions you have, what has proven to be difficult. And if you can, just out of love of the other people who are trying so hard like you, if you could stand up and either if you have a question or share how you yourself were able to overcome a particular snag, then this can be very, very helpful. And what we will do is I will go aisle by aisle and I'll first of all just see if there's anyone in the first aisle who has a comment or a question. If not, then we'll go to the second one and so forth. And please, only on peace and staying in the present. Let me just say a word about something that I know has come up with a number of you. And then we'll get to the, the specific questions. <coughs> Whenever there is a spiritual practice undertaken, as we have in the assignments the last two weeks, there is of necessity ego involvement. This must be understood. You cannot walk home you cannot undertake your personal spiritual program without there being ego involvement. Your ego will get involved. You cannot prevent this. And so what you must seek is a balance. You can sense your ego involvement in your spiritual path. You know how your ego is coming in and trying to make either you make you feel special it's making you uh, possibly judge others. They're not doing it as well as you are, or that they are doing it better than you are, and there's a sense of martyrdom and sense of depression and discouragement. Somehow you can't do it right. You've never done anything right your whole life, and so <laughs> that's the feeling. And here's just one more proof. So what must be watched is this balance between the ego involvement and the particular spiritual practice that you're undertaking. 
And if any spiritual practice, anything that I have mentioned whatsoever, is making you unhappy, then you should consider either eliminating it or cutting it back or modifying it. Do not continue if the practice is making you unhappy because God is happiness. And the path to God is a happy path. And unless you are happy and peaceful and unless you're enjoying your, your Herculean efforts, then you are not making progress. It is that simple. We do not enter God with something other than God. We do not enter God with pain or depression. We don't enter God by whipping ourselves. How can you enter pure, sweet forgiveness by criticizing yourself? And yet the ego has a firm belief that by criticizing ourselves, we make progress. That by attacking ourselves, we become more gentle. You see how crazy that is? And so with any of these practices, watch it carefully. See if it's making you happy. And if not, don't be afraid to stop and look and see, is there something you're doing forcing yourself to do that's bringing the unhappiness in. And if that's the case, then see if you can eliminate it. If you can't for the life of you figure out what's happening, then possibly for a while you could simply go to another spiritual practice. The only one that I might say should be sacred at this point for most of us and possibly for everyone here is this business of setting your purpose in the morning. There isn't much there, and so that shouldn't make you a great deal, uh, shouldn't cause you a great deal of difficulty. If you can just pause for a moment, have a little quiet time in the morning, and then see what kind of day you want. How do you wish to go through this day? What is the tone you wish to carry throughout this day? I would say, not to eliminate that one. But if it is making you unhappy, possibly you can see, you could look and see what is, what is the unhappy factor in it. Is it, for example, are you, is, is this causing an issue with someone else? Then possibly you can adjust the time so it's more peaceful for this other person. Is there something that you are in the habit of thinking you must have or must do first thing in the morning? Well, don't fight that. Go ahead and do the thing that you think you must do. If you must have your cup of coffee or whatever the thing may be, then go ahead and have your cup of coffee and then set your purpose. It is, of course, best to do this first thing, but it is never good to get into a fight with your ego. So the simple rule is that the road home to peace is peaceful. The way home to God's great happiness is happy. Never think you can make progress with a quality that is not godlike. And so you have no use for anger. None. It will get you nowhere. No use for irritation. 
No use for self-criticism. None whatsoever because there's no God in it and therefore there is no way in it. It's a retreat back into darkness. And you know this. And so keep it simple. Now, we may, in the course of this service, pause and uh, join together uh, silently. Uh, and, and we may not. We'll just see how that goes. But this can be very helpful. Because what we want now is for these questions to come from our heart and to be truly helpful to uh, everyone here. And they will, your question will be helpful if it is simply a sincere question, if you sincerely uh, have been having difficulty. So once again, if you will, please limit the questions to what we've just been talking to the last two Sundays. Making peace your only goal, having no other goals beside peace, setting your priorities in the world, but having no other goal beside peace, and the simple practice of staying in the present, of gently bringing your mind back to the present. Now, I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes and please look in your heart now, especially those of you who have been working hard at this. And you know if you've been working hard at this. And realize you have something to give. You have something to give because you've been working hard. You have something to give to your brothers and sisters. There are people in this congregation who are floundering. <laughs> and so you want to help them. So look in your heart and see, do you have a question? Or can you make some comment, something you found helpful? Something that you were able to walk around that, that perhaps someone else is having difficulty with? So I'll be quiet for just a moment. Look in your heart and see if you have something to say on either peace or staying in the present. Okay, I will begin, I'll begin with this aisle here, this first pew. And I'll just see if there's anyone here who has a question. Then we'll go to number two. Number two, raise your hand. Number three, raise your hands. Number four, raise your hands. Number five, raise your hands. Pew six, raise your hands. Pew seven, raise your hands. Seven? Everybody in seven. Okay. Eight, raise your hands. Nine, raise your hands. Ten, raise your hands. Eleven? Is there eleven? Raise your hands. Okay, and then... We'll have, are you 12? 12, raise your hands. And then uh, 13 uh, will be the people against the wall, the latecomers. They deserve the number 13, don't you think? All right. And so you'll be number 13. Then we'll start here with 14. And if, if we have actually gotten that far, then uh, you will get to raise your hand as, you, as I say the number. It'll be a lot of fun. <clears throat> All right. So number one, is there anyone here? Yes. Now, if you could please stand up. I know this is difficult for some of you. If you could please stand up and say what you have to say. If you could face the congregation and say what you have to say as if you're talking to 13, the 13 people back there. Uh, I know this is difficult for you. I know many of you find this difficult. But remember now, you're helping your brother and sister who is trying so hard to get home. This is not easy. You know this isn't easy. This is very difficult. We are reversing the habits of at least a lifetime. 
And so you want to help. Of course you want to help. And so if you would just this morning forget your particular embarrassment. Just forget your particular embarrassment. And just everybody knows that uh, people stutter and they get things wrong and all this stuff. So I'm up here to remind you in case you don't. (laughs) All right. So if you could do that, that would be helpful. So role number one. Is there any of you that can share something? That scare you about standing up and all that? Okay. That's great. That's super. I would like to know how do you let go of fear? How do you let go of fear? (laughs) All right. Now, we're supposed to just talk about peace and staying in the present, but of course, fear is a part of that subject for sure. Because when we are afraid, we are certainly not in the present. But here's the wonderful thing about staying in the present. There's a little TV show on uh, called The Littles. It's a little TV show. Uh, And uh, it's a kid's show. And they, uh, so there was this little girl who had run away and the littles, who are just teeny little people, pretended that one of them was a uh, a little, uh, the term was the fairy of your conscience. And so she dressed up with little wings and they lowered her down to this little girl who'd run away from home and she had her little wings on everything. And uh, she said, I'm the fairy of your conscience. <laughs> and she started talking to the girl who'd run away and she, and they had a flower up there with the, the little uh, pollen stuff, you know, that could be so pretty. And so she started talking to the girl about talking to your parents and she said talking is magic and then the little the littles up there who are lowering her down on the string would let the pollen go whenever whenever she talked about talking being magic and all this stuff would fill the air (laughs) staying in the present is magic and that's why this last time i was asking you to watch as you go from the future, your mind's caught up in something about the future or the past, and you catch it, you interrupt the thought, and you return to the present, and to feel the difference, you will feel more you. If you like the word centered, you might use that. You feel more substantial. There's a, there's, there is definitely a difference. Even at a very early stage of learning, we can still get a little sense of entering the presence of God. After a while, it will be so, the contrast will be so marked that you will be in tremendous pain when you are not in the presence of God. But at this stage, you can at least get a sense of this. Now, I'm going to run you through a little exercise, and this will show you one of the ways to deal with fear. We've done this before, but here we'll, this will give you a sense now. If you close your eyes. I want you now to think of anyone with whom you have a grievance, or it may be a group of people, maybe the people at the office or at the hospital where you work or wherever. Someone against whom you have a grievance, someone who you think has been selfish or insensitive. They have not, they have not been as kind as you think they could have been to you. Perhaps they've even been cruel. Maybe they've talked against you or they have forgotten something that was very important to you 
think of that just for a moment. Picture that person standing before you now and see the, the way in which this person typically stands, their, their common gestures and so forth. And think of this grievance. Now, you should have felt something happening to your mind a little bit. You should have felt a narrowness, a contracting, possibly a little tension, and, of course, fear. Fear in some form, because fear is another word for the ego. Now, I want you to think of something else. So you're simply going to change your focus. There's nothing more to walking home than changing our focus. To be in the kingdom, says A Course in Miracles, is merely to focus your full attention on it. To be in God is simply to turn and look at God. There's nothing more to it than that. And so now, forgetting this grievance and forgetting this person entirely, just putting them aside, I want you now to think of any gentle or kind thing that has happened to you today or yesterday or the day before recently. Has someone done something thoughtful or have you seen someone be kind to another person? So you're going to think now of any incident that comes to mind or more, can be more than one, where someone has been kind and gentle, fair. Maybe they were that way to an animal or to a child or to another adult. Recently. Someone could have gotten angry, but they didn't. Could have gotten mad, but they didn't. Maybe you saw it in a store. Someone could have been in a bad mood, but they weren't. So think of a few of those things. And as you think of them, feel the difference. Do you see your mind relaxes? Do you see that light comes into your mind a little bit? There's a lightning, a freedom, a peace. Okay. So the rule is very simple. When you return your mind to the present, and anything that has love in it has the present in it. So don't let your ego confuse you that because you're thinking of something that happened, that it's not in the present. If it has love and forgiveness and gentleness in it, it is in the present. The love and the gentleness and the kindness and the tenderness is in the present. That part is in the present. So don't be confused by these silly ego arguments. Don't be confused, for example, with the silly ego argument, well, I'm not staying in the present if I pay my life insurance premiums. <laughs> or if I write out my will. There are uh, seats up here and if you, anybody wants to sit up here. Or uh, your mortgage. Or if you uh, plan your automobile trip or if you take out a membership in uh, AAA or any of those things. Don't be confused by those silly, silly arguments because nothing in this world 
Nothing overt is in the present. Everything in the world concerns either the future or the past. So you are either correcting something that happened in the past or you are doing something that would seem to affect the future. You cannot act in the world. You, can't not, you cannot not act in the world without affecting the future. You cannot sit in a chair without it having future ramifications because there's something you're not doing. So within the world, that's an act that concerns the future. So don't be confused by that. Staying in the present means that there's some gentleness now. There's some love. You've allowed a little love to flow into you. You've emptied yourself of your problems. Let's do another exercise right here. By God, this will eliminate the overcrowding. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Now, close your eyes. And let everything drain out of you. Let everything go. Let anything that happened this morning that was disturbing, or yesterday, or this last week, or recently, anything that you're still carrying with you at this moment, any grievance, any unhappiness, any disturbance, any fear, let it just completely flow out of you. Become empty. Just empty yourself totally right now. Now, you've never noticed this. Don't open your eyes. You've never noticed this, but the Seventh-day Adventists who own this building have provided a little hose in front of each one of you. And out of it flows the purity and the peace of God. So mentally, pick up the hose and clean out any last little vestige that you may have overlooked. Any little fear, any little nagging something that's hovering over you. Completely clean. Completely clean now. Totally empty. Now, ask yourself a question. What is the peace of God? What is the peace of God? Don't answer the question. Open yourself now to the peace of God. Not a lot of it, a little of it. So you're completely empty. And now you're going to let gentleness and relaxation and simple happiness and the peace of God flow into you and fill you completely. Do that now. See, people, don't ever say you can't do this. This is so simple. It's so simple. You gave yourself time right now. You just finished giving yourself time. You emptied yourself, and you let God's gentleness and happiness and peace flow into you a little. That means you took a step nearer home. You are now closer to home than you were when you walked in this building. I promise you. And that's all there is to it. Now, when you did that, when you emptied yourself and you let God's peace flow into you just a little, 
Where was the fear? You are safe from fear when you are in the present. You are in fear in some form when your mind is dwelling, even if it's excitedly, on the future and the past. It is that simple. Okay, pew number two. <laughs> I found in my experience that grounding myself in uh, the present time whenever I find myself having a goal is uh, the results of that are more cumulative. It's not like infant nirvana. You know, driving down the street in a hurry to get somewhere and all of a sudden, oh, I'm supposed to be in the present time. It feels better. It's not like that. It's like at the end of the day, I feel better. And then at the end of the next day, I feel better than that. And at the end of the third day, I feel better than that. It just gets better all the time. And the more I grab myself during the day, the better it is. That's terrific. That is so terrific. Uh, and that's so true. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a little spiritual practice that I do. And I would not recommend this uh, for everyone. A lot of you would, would, would torture. Frankly, you would torture yourself with this one. <laughs> So uh, just see if this if you like doing this. If you don't like doing it, then don't do it. But I like practicing stillness. I like practicing not thinking at all, just having a completely quiet mind. But I'm not able to sustain this for very long. And so one of the things that I like to do is to do it within a certain framework. So if I'm driving the car, I will say, I will not think anything from this mailbox to that corner. And then when I get to the corner, I'll say, okay, I'm not going to think anything from the corner to a such and such a street that's coming up. Now, I find that I can do it that way. As I told you, I, I discovered that in swimming laps. I would say, let me think, let me, let me swim just one lap in stillness. Just one lap. And I found that I could do it a lot of the time. It's amazing how often we can't do even that little bit. But just as the gentleman said, it has a cumulative effect. Now, with me, I find that I have a need to think. It's an actual need. It is an ego need. So here is the ego coming in. You cannot stop the ego from coming in. You must understand this. Therefore, you look at it. You do not get in a battle with it. You look at it. See what you must concede to your ego to keep it in abeyance so that you can continue your walk home. So here's the thing that I do with my ego when I feel this need, this almost anxiety about not thinking. Oh, God, I'm not thinking. The world's going to come to an end. I'm not planning. I'm not rehearsing. I'm not going over and over all the disasters that might befall me. And so they're more likely to. That's the ego's things. <laughs> Let me just finish this and then I'll leave. Put what? In abeyance. Oh, uh, keeping your ego. Your ego uh, is. Uh, look at your ego as if it were uh, a dog, a pet dog, that lies in the corner. You see, it's sort of grumpy. It's it's been through a lot, people, <laughs> and uh, it's a little testy. Do you see? And so you see what it needs. It needs the old blanket, doesn't it? <laughs> 
So you give it the old, you don't wash it. It doesn't want it washed. You want it washed, but it doesn't want it washed. So the old dirty blanket, you put it there, do you see? And it doesn't like walking all the way to the kitchen for its water. So you have the little, yes, I know, a little bit spills out. But you put a, a, a little piece of plastic underneath that, taking care of that, you see. So you watch your dog, and you give it food that you know will make it happy. You don't go out to Arts Market and load up with filet mignon because this is going to make it sick. You see, you don't indulge it. Indulging activates your ego. You give it enough to keep it in ego peace, in ego heaven. <laughs> Which just means that it's not too angry and miserable. That's all it means. It's just a little angry and a little miserable. And it doesn't interfere because it's not yelling and barking and scratching and clawing and all this other stuff, do you see? So keeping your ego in abeyance simply means that you do what you need to do to just to keep it calm and happy in its own terms. Now, where was I? I was about to do what? Okay, I was going to tell you what I do when I feel the ego need. All right. So I have this need to think. I can feel it sometimes. It's almost a panic. I'm not thinking. So what I allow myself to do between the mailbox and the corner is if, if this need gets to be too great, or any time, you know, that I see that I truly want to do this, I can start saying words of truth to myself. So I can think in that sense. That is quite a different kind of thinking. So I can come in and I can remind myself. I can tell myself about the truth of what surrounds me. That Christ is reflected in the pinions. That God's peace is underneath me. That the love of God is in the heavens. That the light of God is reflected in the clouds. I can say that. It's a fact. Or I can say words of truth about anything. Truth covers everything because it's true. And so you can say words of truth about anything. And then when I've said a few words of truth and I see that the need to think has now subsided, I go back to my little practice of stillness. This too, I find, has a marvelous cumulative effect. The mind becomes stiller and stiller, quieter and quieter. Owl number three. Does everybody remember the threes? Remember you raised your hand when you said three. Okay. Number four. Where Rob is. And Ann is. <laughs> Do one of you or anyone else on that? Yes. Go ahead. This is the pilot that gave me the checkoff. Remember that terrible sermon I gave? The checkoff list for flying? It isn't his fault, people. He gave me a very sophisticated list. Okay. Now, don't be embarrassed. <laughs> I have difficulty when friends or acquaintances or associates ask me, how was business or how was your trip? It's not always peaceful. Thinking about what it was like and reevaluating the judgment. And it's 
Okay, that's, that's a very good one, because we do get these kinds of questions. How are you feeling today? Uh, <clears throat> there's, a, uh, there's a woman here whose uh, husband passed on uh, recently, and uh, she, she and her husband had worked very, very hard to make this a peaceful transition. And... Uh, they came about as close to succeeding as possible in this world to succeeding. And so indeed it was a peaceful transition and she felt a great deal of peace afterwards and she did not feel the grief that most of us would, would feel in a situation like that. Tremendous grief. And she told me that people were always, that the only problem she had was people coming up and saying, how you doing? <laughs> and she said, well, I'm doing fine. How are you really doing? <laughs> So there is this little thing that we've got to notice. There's not, you cannot condemn anyone for this because your ego is doing it too. Our ego and everyone else's calls to the ego of the people around us. Remember that the ego is a bird of the feather. It wants more feathers. It doesn't care where it plucks them. And so... We do call to other people's ego with these questions. That's why I've mentioned, be careful about questions. They often come from the ego. Be careful about kidding. It often comes from the ego. But most people don't know this, and so they're going to ask you questions, and they're going to kid, and so forth. And so don't condemn them for this. They just haven't seen something that possibly you've seen. But you want to be prepared for this. And it is surprising how limited all this insanity is. This is why I have suggested time and time again that you watch your thoughts. Because if you will watch your thoughts and your emotions and your reactions, and if you will write them down even as you go through the day, over and over again, if you will keep your eye on what you are doing, how you get yourself in trouble, how you go through the day, how you set these things up, how you react to this situation and that situation. What kinds of thoughts you're thinking? What are the themes? What do you keep coming back to over and over again? If you will do this, one of the tremendous benefits is that you will see there's only so much to your ego. There are things that you do and there are other things that you don't do. You have people surprisingly few idols. You will be surprised that there isn't as much work to do as you thought. Now, it's quite hard. It's quite difficult. Not hard in the sense it's painful. It requires great concentration. So there is tremendous concentration and a great deal of work that's needed to get past the idols that you do have. But you don't have an unlimited number. And this is why the ego never wants us to look inside. Because it wants us to have this sense of a bottomless pit So look, and you'll see that it's not bottomless. And look to see where these things come up that disturb you. Now, some of you are not disturbed by these questions when you get back from a trip. But you're disturbed by other things. But if you are disturbed by these kinds of questions, 
then of course you must sit down and see what you're going to do when the question comes up. What are you going to do? And realize that you do not have to honor this concept of ego honesty, which means honoring your ego feelings. That's all the ego means by ego honesty, honoring your ego feelings. So the ego will have you tell of the failures that took place on the trip in all honesty. Is that all that happened? I can tell you if you will say a few nice things that happened on the trip, they won't ask you any more questions. <laughs> the ego has a tr tremendous lust to hear. Oh, it was a nice trip. It was a, it was a nice trip. Oh, the subject changes like that. Boy, I can tell you. No blood. Now, I'm not saying that's the way you should answer the question, but that is, of course, one way you can answer it. If you can uh, say a few things, maybe you can have a few things. How much happened on the trip? I'll tell you how many things happened on the trip. If the trip was three days long, three days of things happened on the trip. And if you were to tell them what happened on the trip, it would take you three days. <laughs> So, of course, you must choose. Of course, you must choose. So, choose in advance. What will you tell the people that will ask this question? Because you don't want to start thinking of yourself as a body. And that's what they're trying to do. They're egos. There's no harm in this. This is perfectly innocent. We all do this. But their ego wants you to think of yourself as a body. Not as Christ. Not as one with God. Not as the peace and love of God but as a body that went through this experience. Maybe it was exciting. Maybe it puffed you up in some way. You met important people or did exciting and exotic things. That doesn't matter either. It's the same stuff. So, of course, you don't want to get into a conversation that's going to make you feel depressed and going to drain you of some energy. You know what I'm talking about. Every time you've had one of these conversations, and notice, there's a drain of energy. You're not quite there anymore. It's going to take an effort now to get back to just simple, pure peace. And so you don't want to get caught up into these crazy conversations. And we do this. We fill the air with words. We're always talking, 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 talking. But notice the effect that these things have on you. So you know the kinds of questions that set your ego off. Decide in advance what you will say in those circumstances. And decide to be kind to the questioner. Above all, be kind to the questioner. That doesn't mean you have to sit there and listen to an attack if you suddenly have someone starts attacking you. That's never a good idea. But be kind to the questioner. Because if you aren't kind, what you said will stay with you. Here is a very simple definition of what is the most peaceful thing to do. It's the thing that you will think least about afterwards. Okay, so we're one, two, three, four. Roll number five. Yes. When people ask me how I am, and I don't want to say because I'm super close to the bottom, I'm miserable, 
they come back with, oh, how are you? <laughs> Great, that's wonderful. And, and then they that's terrific. You see how many solutions there are? <laughs> okay, so that was one, two, three, four, five, six. Row of number six. Is anybody there? <laughs> okay. Number seven, row number seven, raise your hands. Do you know who you are? Yes, all right. Is anyone on in pew number seven who would like to, a to make a comment or ask a question about peace and staying in the present? Number eight. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's right. That's a very good one. It's impossible, of course, if you're in... Uh, well, I won't say that. There are some people who, surprisingly enough, can turn to God more easily when they're in great pain than they can when they're not. But they are definitely a minority, and you know whether or not this is true of you. And as I've mentioned, you don't want to try to pick this way home. But there are some people who will naturally go home by going through an extremely painful illness and death. That is simply a way home. It is not a way that you consciously choose. It simply means that there is something about your particular ego that you can turn to God when you are in great pain. Most people cannot do that. Most of us must, our body must be taken care of. And if you will not be so rigid, you see people fellow dispensapalians. <laughs> um, we, we become so rigid when we start a, a spiritual path. This is the way, this is one of the many ways that the ego enters into it. You start deciding what you can and cannot do, where it should be just the opposite. You should see that the world is now open to you and you can do anything that you want to do. Anything. And yet it is surprising how many options people eliminate because they think of themselves on a spiritual path or a student of A Course in Miracles. There is no limit. You can take pain-killing drugs. See if that would be peaceful. It doesn't have to be perfectly peaceful. Is it more peaceful than any other alternative you can think of? You can have the operation. You can consider uh, the more untraditional forms of medicine, like acupuncture or massage. Often an ongoing solution is better than one that we try to make permanent. And this is a mistake many people make. They try for one, uh, a one-time solution. We don't do that about brushing our teeth. You see, you have simply accepted that there that you do not want to look for the answer to 
dental hygiene. You don't do that. So you have accepted a daily solution, which is you brush your teeth every day. You even may have added the other exotic things, you know, that the dentists are now recommending, like massaging your gums with your finger and uh, flossing and other things. And you just do this. People who have a drinking problem often do best by simply going to an AA meeting as often as they need to go. Even if it's one a day, it simply solves the problem. What difference does it make if they do that for the rest of their lives? It solves the problem. An ongoing solution is often best because there is actually no permanent solution to anything in the world. You will never permanently solve your body's discomfort until you decide to walk away from having a body. You will never permanently solve financial problems in any form until you decide to walk home and leave the world. Not leave the people in the world, but leave the world. So I've told you that I have a chronic back problem that appeared to have come about through insane jogging. <laughs> <laughs> 18 miles a day in sand. If that's not insane, then I don't know the definition of it. So something was got, had to happen. Now, I, for a year or two, uh, well, three years anyway, I looked for a permanent solution, something that would just take care of it because I didn't have a back problem before. So obviously there must be something in the world I could just do and there wouldn't be any back problem. It didn't happen, people. It didn't happen. Something would work, it would help for a while, and then the back problem would come back. And I'd be discouraged, and then I'd have to hunt again. And so I finally come up with an ongoing solution that takes care of the back problem. I swim every day, and I get a massage once a week. And that's simply, to, yes, it's time-consuming. It takes an hour for me to set aside that time in the morning to drive to the pool, do the laps, and come back. And it takes a couple hours to get the massage, and it costs me some money to do that. Often people can trade for the massage, and they don't have to do the, the, the money part of it. That, that's an ongoing solution. So, of course, your question has many different ramifications, which I won't go into this morning about pain, and I realize that I'm not addressing all of the ones. But this, I would say, would be the central one. If your body's in pain, if you're not feeling comfortable, you must make that priority, your priority. If, for example, you're not getting enough sleep, and this, I would say, is the single biggest mistake, aside from a little exercise each day. People don't, for some reason, don't get a little exercise each day, that people make. They do not give their bodies enough rest. One thing that's always true about any, any illness or any discomfort, your body is saying to you, cut back. That is always true, no matter what else may be true. That is always true of any discomfort, any illness. There is cut back in the message. So if you need sleep, if you, you know how much sleep you need, go ahead and get the sleep. How can you walk home if you're... Uh, in the state that you get in when you don't have enough sleep, you see? So just go ahead and arrange your day to get the sleep. 
The ego doesn't like simplicity. If you're rushed every single morning, and if it sets you off, if you're always in the stew, as 99% of the world is in the morning. Everybody's in an insane stew in the morning. If you look in people's households, there's this insanity and this running around and everybody's snapping at each other. And the only thing they haven't looked at was, what if I got up half an hour early? <laughs> oh, no, that would solve the problem. <laughs> I ought to be able to do it within this period of time, says the ego. But you're not doing it, and you haven't done it for 25 years. <laughs> okay, number nine. Pew number nine. Pew number ten. People in ten, would you raise your hand so I make everybody sure that they remember where they are? Okay. <laughs> Anybody in ten? Anybody in eleven? Anybody in 12? That's the last row. Mary Lou Cook's row. Anybody there? Okay. Now we get to the 13s. Yes. Would, would you stand up, please? Thanks. Yes. Right. That's very good. The question of shoulds, of duty, of uh, you owe it to so-and-so, and all that stuff, the shoulds. Every should is a voice from your past. It may have come from your school teacher. It may have come from a parent. It may have come from some book that you've read recently. If you could write down, and this is not a bad exercise, every should, every time you notice it, you would see that it is total chaos and insanity. There is no way... You can obey all these shoulds. They contradict each other. They actually are double binds in which if you do one thing, you break one should. If you do another thing, you break another should. You can eliminate all shoulds at once. None of it comes from God, your Father. It's all replaced with a single should. All goals are replaced with a single goal. All shoulds replaced with a single should. And that is, you should make peace your priority, your goal, your purpose, your aim. That is the only should. And that will take care of true duty. That includes respect for the people around you. It includes true sensitivity. Being aware that someone's in pain. It includes honor. It includes actual righteousness. It includes everything that the ego divides up into a hundred warring values because it includes love. And so when you are at peace, 
the love of God is flowing into your actions and into your decisions. But if you try to figure out how this applies to every single person out there, you will make yourself hopelessly confused. You cannot make a decision on that basis. Do not consider shoulds and duties and all that. Notice that you get in a state of hopeless confusion almost immediately when you do that. Don't consider anything except, will this add to my peace? Or the question, what will delay me least? Or the question, what will I think about least? Any of those questions that get to the simple issue of what is the most peaceful thing to do? In my heart, what is my preference, my peaceful, gentle preference? And then learn to trust that, people. Go ahead and try doing that, following that. Then all these disasters that the world will say that will befall you because you're not worrying and listening to a worry hour at 6 o'clock every night and reading uh, the worry journal and everything else, you'll see it doesn't matter. The world does not come tumbling down on top of you. No worry is worth worrying if it takes away your peace. And you cannot worry and be at peace and in the present at the same time. Yes? Choose. Good. That's a real good one. That's terrific. Yes. Yes, we're going to go back to 11. We're going to redeem 11. That's a wonderful question. That's such a vital question. Um, taking responsibility. All right. We've, we've talked about this before, but this is so important to see because this is one of these higher ego concepts that have gotten mixed up with the truth, and it's just rampant, this business of taking responsibility. And so Jesus, of course, is responsible for the dictatorship in Rome. He's, the, he's responsible for the uh, corruption of the Pharisees. He's responsible. There were stones there for the people to throw at him. He's responsible for the nails that were driven into him. You see how crazy this is? You see how this is absolute insanity when we apply it on that particular level. We are responsible for being asleep and nothing more. The dream is already set up. This is what is not understood. The world is all is a dream and it's already set up. It already has its rules. And so there is this ego confetti floating all over. Every, or it's like um, it's like uh, fortune cookies. It's as if a, a fortune cookie plant had been blown up and there were millions of negative fortunes floating out there. And a few are going to land on you. That's just what's going to happen. There are going to be some things. How can you live in a world of cruelty and not experience cruelty? How can you live in a world of sickness and not occasionally be sick? How can you live in a world of, of cheating and desertion 
and sadness and loneliness and somehow expect to magically escape from the very world you are choosing to live in. The thing that you and I have in common with everyone in this world is we haven't yet chosen with all of our heart to go home. When you choose to go home, the world will no longer touch you. And you can help everyone with complete freedom. And so don't, don't get caught up into that ridiculous argument of I'm responsible for this and I'm responsible for that. The ego is always trying to understand and trying to explain. So if you get an illness or if you have an accident or something happens, what does that mean? What does that mean? He goes, what does that mean? And you go talk to everybody. What do you think that means? <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> there's no God in it, and therefore there's no meaning in it. And trying to figure out why you made the mistake, or why you got sick, or why you stubbed your toe, or why you always get flat tires, <laughs> is absolute ego nonsense. Where's the present? Where's the peace of God in that? Do you see? It's taking your mind back and, and asking an unanswerable question. You asked a question a moment ago. We'll end our service on this. And that is, what is forgiveness? Do you see how answerable that was? Because it's in God and it flows into you. You can always tell question that comes from the ego because it never quite gets concluded you're never quite happy with the answer there's this tinge of guilt and dissatisfaction about it there are no questions in God I'm telling you the truth my brothers and sisters I'm telling you the truth from this moment on you never have to have another question in your life, ever. You don't need them. Turn to God. Where's the question in that? Make peace. The only thing you want now, where is the question in that? Have no questions, and you will leave this world behind you, and you will truly be able to help people. With each step out of it, you will be able to help more and more people. Not in the way the ego thinks. Through great big rallies and movements and billboards and bumper stickers and all that. But silently, heart to heart, you'll be able to feel the pain and reach out and heal it. And that's what you want.